Hi everyone, before we kick off today's episode, we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all of the listeners that have liked, subscribed and followed the podcast. It means a lot to us and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and follow us on our social media channels. Now for the latest episode. Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Kolazar. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. We are back as a duo today as we delve into the best managers in Premier League history. From Pep to Bobby Robson and maybe a little Warnock too. We'll be looking back through the archives to see who makes our top 10 Premier League managers of all time. From titles to touchline bust-ups, charismatic to fearful, we will be looking at it all. Talking about charismatic, Jack, how are you, mate? Oh, thank you. Back on the positive introductions after putting me down last week. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm good and uh, happy Thanksgiving to, to everyone, especially our American friends and fans. Yep, the night before Thanksgiving, I'm looking forward to a feast tomorrow. And uh, yeah, likewise, happy Thanksgiving to our American uh, listeners. Um, what is your favourite Thanksgiving food? Um, if there's a good, a good, uh, anything, it's got to be a potato-based dish, right? So it's either roast potatoes, mash, potato, uh, stuff and what, yeah, any kind of potato dish, I think. Potato gratin, that's not probably my favourite. You, uh, you've you been learning French over the last few days. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, but it tastes good. Uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely a potato fan. I think uh, any type of good potato dish is definitely a winner. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, seeing probably, as this... probably why we're shaped like potatoes. Yes, exactly. But uh, I think the good news for this week is uh, a little bit later of a podcast, so we're able to get on the uh, on the pints. Uh, I've gone for I've gone back to an uh, an original brewery that I've had before, the Six Point Brewery, um, but I've gone in the holiday spirit. I've gone for a wintry fix. It's a winter lager, um, a dark orange colour, um, but uh, it's almost like a, an ale and a lager mixed together. Um, I'm enjoying it. I uh, I think I might have this over the next few weeks as well. Very good. I have a beer from Dock Street Brewery, which I believe is based in Philadelphia. It's just their Mexican lager. So just a nice, simple lager, which is my type of drink. It's good. Perfect. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to having a couple of these during this uh, this episode. So uh, last week, you've killed me with a, a very tough question. I spoke to a few people who, I think they got the Jalconcello part, but then the, uh, the Amati part, definitely people struggled with. So seeing as today's all about the managers, I've gone for a question to do with managers. So hopefully you're ready. There are five managers who have managed 500 Premier League games or more. Who are they? Yeah, it's a good question. Very much on topic, especially after the last couple of guests we've had, top managers in the professional game. So on brand, I think I've got half a chance there. There's definitely a couple of certain ones. Yeah, there's definitely a few certain ones. And what I'm going to do to throw in maybe a little bonus point out of those five managers, if you can name each manager's team that they had the most games with as well. Okay. All right. So, yeah, we'll come back at the end. Um, 
have a little think about that question and uh, yeah we'll crack on um i think in the uh the big headlines at the moment right is uh the naughty school children everton uh, yeah. that, that 10 point deduction i think the big question we're asking is if it sticks as 10 points are they going down yeah you're probably happy to hear that news right you're not you're probably the most uh everton probably your most disliked club in the league i think but 10 point deduction is probably a little bit harsh especially when you consider going into administration gets you nine points so you've got even more than that i think it will get reduced i think if there's a season when you want to get the penalty reduction, the uh, sorry, the penalty against you in terms of points, it's this season because I think they'll still stay up even with the minus ten points. Yeah, it's look, I I've liked Everton over the years, but I just think their time has kind of come. They've been toying with death over the last few seasons, and if you look at the points that they've picked up in the last couple of seasons, if the ten point sticks, that's in a scary spot. I know you mentioned obviously there's worse teams around. But you got to think what that ten point deduction has done to the morale of the dressing room. Um, I, well, I think it probably galvanizes them. I mean, I wouldn't want to be Man United. That's who they've got next. They're going into you know an away game at Everton at Goodison Park. The crowd's going to be well up for that, and uh, it's going to be kind of that attitude of it's us against everyone else, and uh, it might maybe even spur them on a little bit. I don't know if they're better this year or if they're just the other teams around them are worse. Um, but I don't think they'll be in a sticky spot at the end of the season. I think they'll be safe with a few few games to spare. I mean, if there's a manager to to do the job and keep him up, you would believe in Sean Dyche. Um, he's definitely one of those that he's ready to scrap and get into the fight for it. But uh, yeah, talking about managers, yeah. we've obviously had a couple of managers on lately as guests. Um, so we thought we'd kind of round it out and uh, go for the top 10 Premier League managers of all times. Probably a few controversial shouts in here. Um, so, Jack, I reckon we start with our our bottom five, so our six through ten, um, and then kind of split it. So, uh, Jack, I'll let you go first. What is your ten, nine, eight, seven, six? Um, yeah, so I'm looking at managers that I think have overachieved. I'm looking at longevity, how long they've managed in the Premier League, um, and also, of course, winning matters. Um, and just the man you were talking about at number 10, I've gone Sean Dyche, probably an unpopular opinion, but when it terms, in terms of getting results, in terms of overachieving with, you know, looking at Burnley, he overachieved with them. Everton, looking at potentially getting relegated last year, he goes in, keeps them up this year, um, almost building on that. Obviously, they're going to get hit with the 10 points, potentially to set them back, but building on it from last season. Uh, number nine, another one, not playing great soccer here, but with Son Dice and then Tony Pulis. In terms of overachieving, this is a guy that obviously got stuck promoted, avoided relegation, overachieved massive, massively finishing in 11th, got to an FA Cup final, got into the Europa League, and I think won a two-legged tie in the Europa League for the first time ever for Stoke. Uh, Crystal Palace, Finished 11th and won Manager of the Year. West Brom, 10th place finish, shortlist for manager, uh, manager of the Year as well. So, Tony Pulis, number nine. Number eight is Ranieri. Um, the obvious one is champions with Leicester. Probably the most biggest shocking result of the year. And also Chelsea, uh, at the time, broke record for most points and fewest goals conceded in the season. Then I've got David Moyes, talk about longevity. 
Um, he's been there since I remember. Um, Everton was great. Kept them in a really good position for a long period of time. Obviously, just won a European trophy with West Ham. Um, and then at number six, I've gone Pochettino, which um, I think great coach. Had some really good runs with Tottenham, but hasn't won anything. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, the only two we have in common there... Well, yeah, we only have two in common. Um I see where you're going here. I don't think you're playing the uh, the most attractive style of game there. Um, I think that's maybe a route one direct play out from majority of those coaches there. Um, I think you've missed some big hitters in here. Some mm. absolute massive names. And I know you said, obviously, it's not all about the names. It's about what they've done, the performances. So I kind of kick things off and I, I'll go for one of the the biggest characters in the games. And if you remember back to one of the first episodes, I'm all about the banter bus. Um, so we've gone for, I've gone for Harry Redknapp in number 10 spot. Um, a wheeler, a dealer. He's been there. He's done it. Has he won much? No, but I think he, I think he's done very well with the clubs that he's been at. Uh, look at West Ham, look at Tottenham, look at Portsmouth. Um, he's been with, Yes, you could say West Ham and Tottenham would be bigger teams, but he's been at mediocre teams and he's he's stabilised the clubs. I just like him for the for the transfer dealings. You think about Harry Redknapp on transfer deadline day with Jim White and he's hanging out of his car window. Like it's just iconic. Yeah, they definitely don't have that anymore, right? The the manager just getting on TV, just throwing yeah. a few old rumours out and whatnot. You don't get Ten Hag leaning out the car window talking about signing Valt Vegas. So, uh, yeah, Harry ended up in at 10. Number nine is probably one of my all-time favourite managers. And we'll kind of go back a few episodes of how you kind of did it. I'm going to give you a quote and see if you can figure out who it is. So this manager said the following quote. When I pass away, I don't want clapping or a minute silence. I want a minute booing at Bristol City. Oh, okay, that's not. I thought you were going somewhere else with that quote because there was a manager who had a similar quote. Go on, who was it? Neil Warnock. You so can't... I've heard, I've heard a different one where he didn't want booing or clapping, but he uh, get ready to run the bleep machine. Wanted to uh, have the chant. Yeah. Over yeah. and over, and his last game was at Huddersfield, and that is exactly what happened, and he loved it. Like, you've got to come on. Neil Warnock is an absolute iconic manager. There's a video out there, and it's Pep versus Neil Warnock, and Pep's talking about tat is this, and Neil Warnock literally turning around, effing and blinding. And the Danny Webber one is like, I can't even look at the sight of you, Danny. Get, go for a shower. Get out of here. Like, Neil Warnock is an absolute character. And, like, I think he's got the, the record for the most promotions. I know we're talking about Premier League, but the most promotions from a manager. So, yeah, Harry Redknapp in 10. Neil Warnock in nine. I've gone for a. I've gone for the same place in number eight. Ranieri. I don't think you can look past. Obviously, Leicester City winning the title um, in fifteen sixteen as probably the biggest upset in Premier League history from a title perspective. I mean, come on, five thousand to one odds of winning the Premier League. If you put a quid on that, like I don't know if you would have, but wow. 
Um, I'm sure someone did. I just the Ranieri thing, obviously, unbelievable achievement. But you, I, you did hear stories about like it wasn't because of him, because of Shakespeare. It was because of other people and yeah. also the players, people like Wes Morgan leading them. Obviously, Jeremy Vardy had an unbelievable season scoring goals. But yeah, I mean, you can't take anything away from that. Yeah, I mean, so our seven and eight are the same. So I've gone David Moyes in at number seven. Like you said, he's longevity in the game. He's been in the Premier League ever since I can remember. Um, I think back to that season where he got Everton into the Champions League, that top four, like that was some achievement. And did he get maybe hard done by going to Man United? Potentially, but who was going to replace Sir Alex? Like that was an impossible job if he'd have got given time. But I feel really sorry for David Moyes because you look at like West Ham now, they want to sack their manager considering... They're they're always looking for a way to get Moyes out. Moyes has delivered you a European title. He saves you from getting relegated year after year. Like you've got to give this guy credit. He is, I think, he is a top manager, and I think he gets some bad slack. Well, look at look where Everton are now after he left. And you know, I'm sure West Ham should probably look at that and go, well, maybe that could be us if we are too quick to get rid of him. And I know maybe Everton didn't want to get rid of him, but. Yeah, the Man United job was going to be tough for everybody coming in after such a long time, after such a autocratic leader into Alex Ferguson. I think whoever was in next was doomed. Yeah, and I think I think probably if he looks back and look at the, some of the, the decisions he made, he probably would maybe change a few of those decisions in terms of like background staff. And But you think about, he's coming to the time where the Glazers were there, and obviously we've heard about the Glazers and all the mishaps there, but... I don't know. He's gone into an impossible job, as you say, and maybe you give him time, maybe he would have turned it around. But I always remember the one game, I think it was against Fulham, where he broke the record for the most number of crosses into a box without a goal. It was something like 40, 50 crosses in the game. It's like, change up your style. Um, so who's number six? Number six, I've gone for a, uh, I think, a legend of the game, uh, Bobby Robson. So Pochettino's not in your top ten? He is not. I uh, I think he, he's okay, but I don't know. I, I think there's still time for him to to impress me. Um, not that he has to impress me, but I still think I think there's better managers out there. And I look at, let's say it's a toss-up, right, between Poch and Bobby Robson. For me, Bobby Robson gets in front of Poch. He's done more in the game. I think it's two... I think their strengths are two separate things, right? Pochettino's strength, I think, is developing players in terms of that tactical, technical ability. Bobby Rob, Rob, Bobby Robson, I think, was more about, not that he wasn't a great soccer coach, football coach, but it was about relationships, culture, um, getting the most out of every player with with how he spoke to them and how he treated them. Uh, obviously, massively respected by everyone. Yeah, but yeah. you look at, all right, so you look at that, but you look at what he did with Newcastle. So I was looking into this a little bit. He he took over Newcastle and they were bottom of the league and he won his first game, albeit against Sheffield United, 8-0. So he's actually tonked them on. And then in these seasons, he's finished fourth um, and finished, I think, fifth. So he got him into got him into Europe. Um, and for a Newcastle back then, that was kind of shaky. Um, you look at the owner situation there as well. I don't know, I just think... Bobby Robson was a genie. Well, look at who his assistant manager was when he was at Barcelona. Yeah. Jose Mourinho. You know what I mean? Like, he's taught the best of the best. Um, I just think Bobby Robson needs to get maybe a little bit more credit. 
No, I think that's fair. I, mean, I think, I think after, once you get out of the top five managers, there's so many. There's probably 10, 12 managers that, you, that could argue that they're in with a shout. Um, so I'm willing to work with you on a few of these. Um, obviously, I think we both had what Ranieri and Moyes in there. Um, who, who are you going to drop out of your top, your six to ten though? I'll, 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 uh, I'll switch out Sean Dice for one of your guys. All right. So I think, I think Harry Redknapp deserves more attention in there than Sean Dice does. Harry Redknapp, tell me where he overachieved. He hasn't overachieved. The only place I thought he's overachieved at is maybe Portsmouth when you look at the size of the club and what he was able to do. But everywhere else, he's just done what he was supposed to do. All right, well, let's dial it back. And uh, it's all about developing the players. You look at the players that he developed at West Ham. Yes, there was obviously academy staff and that. But you look at the players that he took a chance on. West Ham was an absolute conveyor belt of talent. Joe Cole, Rhea Ferdinand, Frank Lampard. The list goes on and on of all these yeah, players. Yeah, those three players. Those three players, I think, are, are such a level where they were they were smashing the door down, saying, "Play me." It wasn't a case of like him taking a chance on someone, was it? It was. Yeah, they, they were, young, they were young players. All right, so argue argue me the point. What has Sean Dice done more than Harry Redknapp? Overachieved, taken clubs and finished higher than they were supposed to finish. Taken people that were supposed to be getting relegated and kept them up. Could you argue that West Ham were in a dodgy place? Portsmouth were in a dodgy place. Portsmouth, I'll give you. West Ham, I think, you know, always had a pull as a big club. Um, and I'm not like knocking him. I think he's a good manager, but I would, uh, I would think there'd be other people you want to get in there above him. Well, yeah, for me, obviously, you got Moyes, you got Ranieri. Um, Tony Pulis, I think, needs a bit more respect. And I get that people don't like the style of soccer. They say it's unattractive, whatever. But, you know, he was even a saying for years. Like, you don't want to go to Stoke on a rainy Tuesday night. Like, <laughs> because even the big clubs kind of didn't want that game. Um, All right. So, But to get Stoke to an FA Cup final. All right. So, hang on. So, we're saying seven... manager of the year. So I think we got we got we got to stick with our constant. So Moyes and Ranieri, seven and eight, we keep them in. We both had them in the same place. Sixth place, I think, is toss up between Bobby Robson and Poch. Well, if we both got Ranieri and Pulis, maybe we move both of those up to six and seven. You're no, not Pulis. You're saying you're saying Moyes and uh, oh. Ranieri. So all right, Moyes and Ranieri, six and seven. So, Bobby, so we're looking eight. at eight, nine, ten. So let's go to Bobby, to Bobby Aches. I, I agree. I think just the personality of him um, deserves that. He's definitely a legend of the game. Deserves to be in the top 10. Okay. So now it's a case of 9 and 10, and it's a toss-up between Redknapp, Pulis, Dyche, Warnock. Um, saying that Harry Redknapp won Premier League, uh, yeah, Premier League Manager of the Season in the 9-10 season. So, okay. so Pulis and Redknapp both one-on-one -on -one there. I would rather have Pulis in than Sean Dyche. And would you rather have Pulis in over Pochettino? Yeah, I think I would, to be fair. Just because of, yes, I know Poch is maybe tactically the better manager, but Pulis has done more. It's just hard to argue against what he achieved with the team he had, right? 
Are we also saying that Neil Warnock doesn't get in the top 10 and we're just giving him an honourable mention for being a legend? Neil Warnock can be the chairman of whatever club this is. All right, so yeah, Warnock's out, so we're looking at 9 and 10. I can't believe I'm kicking Warnock. When talking about personality, that's the guy that you want to get like listening to on a podcast, some of the stories he has to tell. And I'm yeah, sure they're... I'm sure if anyone can get us Neil Warner, get him in. Yeah, I'm sure the referees won't want him on the top 10 list, that's for sure. 100%. Um, all right, so I think we need to make a decision here. I reckon we go Tony Pulis in, Harry Redknapp in. So is it Redknapp 10, Pulis 9? Sure. So then we're saying in 10th spot, Harry Redknapp, 9th spot, Tony Pulis, 8th spot, Bobby Robson, Seventh spot, Ranieri. Sixth spot, David Moyes. Yeah. And, it, and I almost feel a little bit bad for Ranieri. One, because what an achievement to win the league with Leicester. Um, but then also, he came second with Chelsea in the season that the undefeated, the invincible Arsenal team won the league. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he got let go by Chelsea pretty unfairly as well. Well, also, so after him came in Mourinho, right? But I think at the time they were looking, trying to get Sven-Goran Eriksson in as manager, but they ended up with Mourinho. And then if you look at the team that went on to win everything, Ranieri brought in a lot of those players. So, that he, you know, initially brought in the likes like Damian Duff, Glenn Johnson, people like yeah. that. But then the people that the people that came in after he'd left that Mourinho gets credited with, people do say people like Drogba um, and others were his... Uh, Drogba and Makaleli were the ones that he wanted and they brought them in after he'd already left. Drogba and Makaleli, too massive, massive. Yeah, and I think you look at what he brought into Leicester as well with Mares, Vardy, Kante, like those players. So he's obviously got an eye for that recruitment. Yes, there's recruitment staff out there, but you can't mock his, uh, his managing of his, of his squad. Yeah, but I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that 10-6. I do think Moyes pips Ranieri, though. Yes, I know Ranieri won the league, but I feel like Moyes' longevity and stability gets him in there. Because you look at Ranieri towards the end, I think when he had Fulham or Watford or something like that, and he didn't do very well there. Yeah, Watford wasn't a good stage for him, for sure. All right, so now moving on to our top five. Um, I think this is going to be definitely be a heated debate and an interesting one about the order of it. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'll go straight through without stopping of what my 5-4-3-2-1 is. The one thing I would say about this top five, for me, it's a very clear and obvious who the five are. People can argue about the order, but if anyone has anyone different to this five as their top five, then I will be shocked. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was fairly easy to pick the five. It's just obviously preference of order. Do you go legacy? Do you go tactician, what they've done for the game um, and <clears throat> we might be sitting here as well and we might have missed somebody so if you think we have missed somebody drop it in the comments, send us an email um, and let us know But so moving forward my top 5 in 5th place Jurgen Klopp 4th place, the special one Jose Mourinho 3rd place Arsene Wenger, second place, Pep Guardiola, and the boss, the supreme, so Alex Ferguson in first spot. I, I I have gone very similar. I've got a slight change in there, but I've gone very similar. Um, number five, I've gone Klopp. I yeah. think the wild thing when you think about Klopp is, and you think about how 
you know, the amount of credit he's given, the amount of, you think of Liverpool and Klopp, you think success. But then when you look in the trophy cabinet, only one league title, one FA Cup, one League Cup and one Champions League, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's not a terrible effort. But, you know, with the amount of time he's been there and the credit and success seems to be around it, you'd think he'd probably have, a, you know, maybe the odd FA Cup or League Cup more than that. Um, fourth, I've actually gone Wenger and Mourinho third. Wow. Um, that's a massive shout. Yeah. Here's, here's, what it, here's the deciding factor that it came down to. Um, so both won three league titles, I believe, right? Awesome. They only won three titles. Do you want to fact check me? What's I'm at this point? Some Wenger titles. Wow. Let's have a look. 9798, 0102, 0304. Wow. And that's why, because it took him 22 years to win those three league titles. Whereas Mourinho had, I believe, was it five or six years at Chelsea in between two spells and won three league titles. I don't know why I thought Arsene Wenger had won more. I mean, he was there a long time, and I think those three league titles were probably spread out a little bit. He did win seven FA Cups, which is obviously a massive amount to win the FA Cup once every three years on average. Um, but yeah, I thought because it took him such a, it took him what less than a third of the uh, third of the time to almost a quarter of the time to win those three league titles compared to Wenger. Um, only one FA Cup, three league cups, and also it might, at the time people laughed at him when I think he finished second. Um, and he said that was one of his biggest achievements to finish second with that squad. And people kind of laughed at that compared to winning the league with Chelsea. But if you look what happened afterwards, maybe it was one of his biggest achievements. Yeah, I think I think we're going to probably touch on as we go through this list about like who who's had the effects on the game, right? So obviously when we get to Pep, we're going to talk about what he's done for the game for Klopp. But I think... I think your point's spot on about Mourinho, about the the shortness and what he, he did and the impact he had on the game in that short time. But you look at Arsene Wenger and how how he revolutionised the game in terms of the science, the data, the nutrition. Like, he came in, he came in in the mid-90s when a pint was what you would say would be a nutritional value. Like, having a pint of Guinness is how you got your protein in the 90s. Whereas he came in and he completely changed it. And I think I think it was Nigel Winterburn. I can't remember what interview it was, but he just said that as soon as he came in, everything got sharper, more energetic. He just everyone felt a difference when Wenger came in. Um so I don't think you can look quite past Arsene Wenger and the what he brought to the game in that nineties. No, I, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. I mean I disagree that people thought having a pint of Guinness got your protein. I think that's just the excuse that you use with your Guinness. But, um, he definitely made a massive impact in the sports science thing. I remember listening to Ray Parler talk about him getting advised to take his wisdom teeth out, which sounds ridiculous, right? Like, But he was starting to get injuries and things, and then they made him go get his wisdom teeth taken out, and all of a sudden all these little aches and pains he was getting went away, which I don't know how that works, but it seemed to. But um, he was definitely the first to he definitely revolutionised that part of the game for sure. And I think he was one of the first that kind of came in as well when, because Arsenal used to be labelled, right? Boring, boring Arsenal because of his type of like possession and slow. But then it quickly turned into the Wenger style of like 
dominating games. And you look at the teams he had, I I always used to hate it because it obviously used to be the Arsenal United like title races, but they would play some good, good stuff. Whereas I don't think Chelsea played the greatest stuff under Mourinho. Yeah, I mean, he brought in some unbelievable talent, especially over from France, right? Vieira, Emmanuel Petit, Thierry Henry, obviously. Um, and they played some good stuff, but you could say that Mourinho revolutionised like how he could win a league because he won a league playing uh, playing in a way where it was just hard to beat them and then trusting that he would get the goal to win 1-0. Yeah, but... Yeah, no, I see what you're saying there, but... The one thing I would probably reference back on for Arsene Wenger would be, and he's the only person to have done it, is that invincible season. Mm. No other manager in Premier League history has managed to do it, and that takes some doing. Um, I think it's well, a personality. Up. You've been talking about personality. Only one of those people has a personality. The only personality Wenger had was his really long coat that he used to wear. Oh, that used to wind me up. Every game, it was focused on him. He couldn't do it up. It's like, how can you not do a zip-up? <laughs> I thought they were trying to wind people up. Like, every week, he could not zip his coat up. The other thing I always remember is, I can't remember who the referee was. Maybe it was Mike Dean or someone. When they sent him to the stands, it might have been at Old Trafford. It was at Old Trafford, and he stood on the box, and he had his arms up. And he just stood surrounded by Man United fans, getting abuse hurled at him, and he stood there like, what are you doing to me right now? Yeah, that was brilliant. You just like those battles between Arsene Wenger and Fergie was unbelievable. Yeah, it was Arsenal Man United, Wenger v Fergie, Vieira v Roy Keane. Unbelievable talent on both teams. And I think like me and you were probably grew up at the perfect time to be able to watch that and just have like the best rivalry to see in the Premier League. Probably yeah. as I've been, I think. I would like to kind of backtrack a little bit and go and speak a little bit about Jurgen Klopp. He he's down further on the list and he might even drop further down if he continues to do this. And it's the moaning that I can't take. Mm. I I loved how he came into the game, brought this style of press into the game and everyone tried adopting it all the way down to the grassroots level and how he played and his Liverpool teams were entertaining. But here's a question for you. Has he underachieved with Liverpool? Well, I think Liverpool fans always come back with the same story of, well, we had to compete with Man City, right? Like, you know, getting all those points, but Man City pipped them at the... That would be their reasoning behind it. But if you're a good enough manager, you work out a way to beat that. Yeah, I mean, there's always been good teams you have to beat to win the league, right? Just exactly. Talk about the Man United situation. Think about the Chelsea teams that came in around the Mourinho area where they bought every good player going. So there's always been that situation. Um, I agree. I think Klopp... Like watching Liverpool, um, the way they play, really entertaining. When they attack, it's like they want to actually go score goals. They're not just passing for the sake of it, and it's good to watch. But I agree with you that it's hard to like him sometimes with these post-game interviews. And even speaking to some Liverpool fans, especially recently asking for rematches and all this stuff, and it's just like, I get it, the VAR on the offside was a terrible call. But let's not act like... Liverpool have had some go against them and some go for them at times. Exactly. Um, and there's a way, you know, in terms of class, and you look at how other coaches recently have answered similar questions, there's a clear difference. And I don't know if it's him being frustrated that maybe that he hasn't had more success in terms of trophies and, and that's what comes out 
sometimes in his post-game interviews. Yeah, I just I just really can't take the moaning. And every interview, if things are going his way, he's happy as Larry. But if anything goes against him, it's so disappointing. But I would say that if I was a player, I would like to play under him. I just think that motivation, that relationship building that he has, like I would play for Jurgen Klopp, but as a fan, scrap the Man United part of me. He's just, I don't know, he's just too hard to read and too hard to listen to after every single game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he wants you, but I'm sure he'll be glad to hear that. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, it's like, even if you're a player for him, I think for a long time, it does motivate you, it gets you on side, it makes you feel like it's us against them. But I think uh, in a period of time, like after a while, you've got to start seeing through it and being like, you know, this isn't, sometimes it just doesn't feel genuine, right? So I think... If we're going to stick with his top five, he stays in at number five, right? Yeah. So then the toss-up is we've both got Wenger and Mourinho right in third and fourth spot. Yep. What order do we put it at? I, I weighed up all the things we've talked about, including the way that Wenger revolutionised the game, the Invincibles, um, and the amount of long, in terms of longevity, right? Probably most, I think most games of any manager in the league. Um, but for me, the deciding factor was... 22 years, three league titles, compared to Mourinho winning those three league titles in, I think it was six years, I might be wrong, but around about six years at Chelsea, uh, if you don't include his Man United spell as well. Yeah, but similar to your point that you said about like Klopp saying that he has to come against City, Wenger had to come against probably one of, if not the best, Man United teams around that late 90s, a treble winning season. But we've just disregarded that excuse because it is an excuse, because there's always top teams. Yeah, you know, I know. Yes, you got to beat everyone else. So, top Premier League managers of all time, Mourinho, Wenger, who pips who? You can't pick Wenger just because he was there longer. No, I agree. I, agree. I Yeah, I agree. So, does, in that case, and if you just look at what they brought to the game, the impact they had, and you look at from a winning point of view, Mourinho, I think, pips him, right? Yeah, I mean, it's close. It is close. Yeah, I think it is. This is definitely one where it could people and no, no European, have... no European trophies for Wenger, right? In all that period, too. Yeah, right? and Mourinho has had that. Which you know, twenty-two years at Arsenal, competing for a league every year, but no success in Europe. I think the Arsenal fans will be disappointed with that. And you look at the, the squad Arsenal had at certain points. Like, come on. Um, so that that leaves us then to numero uno and number two. Yeah, you've, you've got. I'm not. Did you say you? Who did your one and two? I have gone number two, Pep. Um, but I do think if he sticks around long enough, he could take over as number one. But I do have Sir Alex Ferguson as number one. Um, as much as I do think Pep is a genius and improves individuals as well as the team, five league titles, the treble, obviously. Now, the thing that does kind of sway me towards Ferguson is when he took over at United, they were second bottom in the division. Um, and then from there, then on, he's gone 13 league titles, five FA Cups, four league cups, two Champions Leagues, managed of the year 11 times, and an award that I'm a big fan of, BBC Sports Personality of the Year, Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, I mean, so I tried my best 
and I'll be honest here, to look at it from a non-United point of view. And I was looking at, similar to the, the style of revolutionising Pep, I think, has completely changed the game. You look at any type of younger team, grassroots team, adult team, like it's this whole style of playing out from the back. And who's that Who's that kind of come from? And it's that Pep Guardiola style of play. But then you look at legacy. Legacy has to surely come into this. Yes, I know we just said mention about Wenger and Mourinho and longevity doesn't come into it, but legacy has to. 13 Premier League titles, bucket loads of other titles and trophies. Like, yeah, we're not even mentioning all the weird European trophies, World Cup, Super Cup things. Yeah, like. exactly. And it's like, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said yet. Because if Pep Guardiola decides to stay around for as long as Fergie does, then it becomes a completely different question. Yeah, but the, the other thing I would talk about in terms of style and changing the style, which he definitely did, and when it happened, people loved it, and I think people still do love it. But I did see like an interview recently, I think with Sam Allardyce, talking about how tippy-tappy football's boring. And I would argue that Man United under Ferguson, when it was about attacking, and if you score two, we'll score three, was more entertaining than Man City right now. And I would even say that watching Liverpool is more entertaining than watching Man City right now. Because it's just like the... It almost... And I guess it's a credit to them that it almost becomes boring how long they have the ball and how many passes they make and how they keep possession. Yeah. If Liverpool... And it's funny, because obviously Liverpool play Man City, I think, this weekend... And you're going to see two different styles. Like, Pep has brought a lot to the game in this possession style play. But you look at, and again, I'm trying to my best to take my Man United hat off here. The entertainment value of Man United teams, getting it down the wing, Beckham, Giggs, Ronaldo, the lot, playing it into the strikers and scoring. Like, imagine Haaland playing in a Man United team of like the early 2000s, 90s with Beckham crossing it in. Yeah, and I think what Pep started to prove now that he can rebuild the next kind of generation of teams, right? And Ferguson had to go through that process a number of times where, like you say, he went from like the class of 92 team that won the league, then he had to rebuild the next team to win the league and then the next team to win the league. And all of a sudden, you, you know, when you had people like Ronaldo, Tevez and Rooney as a front three compared to a Andy Cole and Dwight York up front and then the next generation. And I think Pep has proven he can do that and he's kind of in the process of doing that right now. Yeah, I think the question comes into this is this it all determines on how long Pep stays around. So I'm looking at it as like Fergie's had eight hundred plus games and Pep's had two hundred and sixty four. Like Pep's got a long way to go to match um Fergie's longevity and what he's done. Thirteen league titles to five. But the one interesting stat, points per game. Hmm. So Fergie's got two point 2.16 points per game, so 2.16 points per game. Pep, 2.36 points per game. Yep. So if that's kind of saying that if Pep goes as long as Sir Alex has done, he's going to pip him to it. But I think you're right in terms of Sir Alex had to rebuild so many teams and Guardiola is starting to do this now, and it's going to be testing him. Um, but... Well, I just think it's the. I don't think that's the deciding factor. I think the deciding factor is what were Man City before Pep came in. 
They were well, very. Were they the good. same as what Fergie picked up United at? United no. were crumbling. No, Pep, Pep walked in and had you know they they built it ready for him in terms of facilities, the players coming in, money ready to spend. It was all ready to go to come in and win. Ferguson did it with United, taking over when they were second bottom. It, it, before that, he did it at Aberdeen. He proved it there as well, winning trophies at Aberdeen, which is you know a team not Rangers, not Celtic winning trophies. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's the biggest factor, and that's almost the frustrating thing with Pep Guardiola is like you would love to see him take a mid-table team over in whatever league country he wants to go to. Almost it's just like an ego thing of like, I'm going to prove how good I am right now. I'm going to go take a, a you know, a West Ham and go win the league with them and show you how good I am. Yeah, so I think, I think when we're looking at both of it, you take into all into consideration, Sir Alex is in number one spot. <clears throat> yes, if we open this up to pre-Premier League, this becomes a completely different ball game. But looking at Premier League era, it's it's got to be Sir Alex in number one, and I don't think there's an argument to be had for that. Pepin yeah, at number two. Because the other one, I almost, I didn't really seriously think about it, but I mean, Brian Clough had, what, one year or so in the Premier League with Forrest, and then went straight down, but before that was obviously kind of a legendary manager. Yeah. Um, so maybe like an honourable mention for that guy. But... Um, I think you have to put Sir Alex up there, but maybe if this podcast is still running in 10 years' time and we do this again, maybe Pep's been around long enough to uh, to take over. If this podcast is still going in 10 years' time, we've done something right. All wrong. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, to kind of summarise then, 10th spot, Tony Pulis. 9th spot, Harry Redknapp. 8th spot, Bobby Robson. 7th, Ranieri, six, David Moyes, Moise, five, Jurgen Klopp, four, Artem Wenger, three, Jose Mourinho, two, Pep Guardiola, and one, Sir Alex Ferguson. I think we've I think we've nailed that. Yeah, there's gonna be some disagreements out there for sure. And this is what we want. Like we obviously have our social media channels, okay, on Instagram. We have our email. Let us know. Uh, I get a few people like say, oh, yeah, it should have been this. Let us know. Disagree with us because we're not always right. No, I think everyone's allowed their opinion as long as they realise that our opinion is the most important one and is always correct. Exactly. Exactly, Jack. So if you disagree with us, and we might have missed somebody because I was going through this and I missed a couple of, like, for example, Bobby Robson. I initially missed him out and I was like, can't be doing that. Yeah, so shout out Big Sam Allardyce out there. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, but no, I think I think this has been good kind of going down a little bit. Again, memory lane, picking up the managers, coming out with some good memories. Um, so, yeah, to kind of wrap this up, let's go back to the initial question. Five managers have achieved 500 or more Premier League games. Mm. Who are they, Jack? I do think I've got this one, I'll be honest. And it kind of helped that we just spoke about managers True. for 45 minutes. So we've got... Um, in order. Ooh. I'm going to say Arsene Wenger won, obviously with Arsenal. Correct. Ferguson two, obviously with Man United. Correct. I, I, I wasn't initially thinking this, but during the podcast, I did say David Moyes has been around since I remember, so I'm going to put him up there. In third place? 
Yeah, we'll go third place. Okay, correct. And who and who's he most okay, with? Everton. Correct. Uh, like you said, Harry Redknapp. In fourth spot, correct. And who's who's he got the most appearances with? That's a more diff challenging one, I think, between West Ham and Tottenham. But I'll say uh, Tottenham. Wow, wrong. Oh, is it West Ham? West Ham, hang on. Tottenham Hotspur, 144. Portsmouth, 158. Oh, wow. Okay. West Ham United, 269. Oh, yeah, that's miles off then. All right, so you got the bonus point wrong. So then fifth place. Uh, Somehow with us. Bolton. Correct. Bolton Wanderers. Who was was his second most managed team? You're going to have to tell me that one. I don't know. West Ham. Okay. Yeah, to be fair, Sam Allardyce, you know, that Bolton team, remember that time where he just brought in all those, like, Yuri Yorkayev and JJ Potter and people? What a team. That was, talking about, like, a style of soccer, just banging it up to Kevin Davis up front and just feeding off the second ball. And to be fair, like you, we like we look at like Sam Allardyce, Redknapp, and Moyes, like they don't get the credit because I was looking through the list, and the only closest manager that's currently managing at the top level is Roy Hodgson, mm-hmm. and he's well over a hundred games short, so he's not making that. And then underneath that, Jurgen Klopp is the most at three hundred and eight, and he's in sixteenth spot. Well, the other thing too, when you think about these, the ones we've spoken about that were a bit more route one, have been, you know, not the most attractive soccer. Look what happens. Look where the clubs are now. To look where Bolton are now. Yeah. And, you know, that. And look where Stoke are now. And so they were playing the cards they were dealt with, right? Like, if you've got a certain level of players, don't try and play like Man City. You've got to find a way to win at the end of the day. Exactly. Well, Jack, I've enjoyed this episode. It's been good. Um, I've enjoyed looking at all the managers. Um, obviously, Thanksgiving tomorrow, like we said at the start, for our American listeners. We uh, we hope you have a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy your food. And, uh, yeah, we bid you a farewell for next week. 